Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Growing Pains podcast brought to you by Honey Kids Asia. This podcast will delve into the deeper challenges of modern parenting and provide a safe space for parents to unravel and detangle the messy and sometimes scary world of modern parenting. My name is Ange. I'm an Aussie expat who has called Singapore home for the last eight years and counting. I'm a mum to two boys, Xavier, who is 10, and Marcel, who is eight. In this episode of the Growing Pains podcast, we're talking to Anbar, a clinical psychologist from Promises Healthcare. We want to explore anxiety and how it manifests in our children. What are the signs that we as parents should look out for? And is this a topic that parents should sit down and talk to their children about? Enjoy. Hello, Anbar. It's lovely to have you on our podcast today. Thank you for joining us and for chatting with us. Uh, Firstly, please share with us what it is you do for a living. Sure, yeah. Um, first of all, you know, thanks for inviting me today. Um, I'm a clinical psychologist and um, I completed my clinical studies in um, Australia. Um, after having finished that, um, I came back to Singapore to work in a children's hospital and for a couple of years. Um, then subsequently, um, after you know working in Singapore, I'm in the clinical. I mean, children's hospital. I then went on to do um, you know work in Promises Healthcare, and I've been there for a couple of years now. We want to explore anxiety today, and of course, specifically anxiety in children. What are the common triggers for anxiety in children today, and are there any telltale signs we should be looking out for as parents? Yeah. Um, I mean, typical triggers for anxiety usually include stressful events. Um, I mean, they could be, you know, um, frequent moving of houses from one place to another, uh, parents fighting or arguing, um, a death of a close relative or friend. Uh, that could be some of the reasons. Um, um, for kids, primarily uh, school-related issues such as bullying, abuse and neglect, um, these are also some of the common ones, I would say. Um, uh, and, you know, if you're looking at some telltale uh, signs to look out for in a child, um, you know, kids finding it hard to concentrate or not sleeping or eating properly or, you know, they have some sense of, you know, irritability in them or emotional and getting easily angry um, or constant worry or, or, or having negative thoughts or being clingy or, you know, always crying. These are some of the signs the symptoms that sometimes we do see in kids um, when they have the anxiety or worries around them. Mm. And do these differ based on age? Uh, I would like to say that anxiety typically manifests in children in similar ways, but this is really depending on the specific type of anxiety disorder mm. um, as well. So uh, types of anxiety d- disorders include separation anxiety disorder, uh, specific phobia, social anxiety disorder, panic disorder, agoraphobia, generalized anxiety disorder, and selective mutism. Um, the differences, I mean, I would say in terms of anxiety and its symptoms are more observable or when comparing adults and children, simply because, you know, as adults, they have the ability to recognize and express the anxiety, mm. uh, while children tend to have more difficult time vocalizing their feelings. Um, and in some cases that we have seen in our clinic setting as well, um, bodily discomforts do crop up 
in some of these kids of 10 and you know they would say you know I've got stomach pain you know uh, you know I you know I can't you know I've got pain in my body specific parts of the body as well so this i would say you know the the bodily discomforts that do show up in kids so that's like their anxiety manifesting in a exactly way. that's right for some mm-hmm. kids so a lot of uh you know adults have anxiety and and some of you know some of the population understand what their anxiety is and they're seeking their own help for that is anxiety something that is hereditary so in terms of like you know if for instance i as a, a as an adult suffer from anxiety do i need to be more concerned that it's going to manifest in my own children right um i mean th- there is some evidence i would say mm-hmm. you know um uh, you know it is um you know, hereditary Uh, yes, I would say there is. Uh, studies have shown that one third of the variance in childhood anxiety symptoms is genetic. Um, uh, there are some research that's also indicated that twins, you know, um, you know, the you know, we can see that in identical twins, you know, um, presence of anxiety. Um, in 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 some some genome studies you know have also shown that some genes are common in individuals with anxiety disorder right. so we do have evidence in there um i guess you know not because that you have this predisposition to this anxiety genes and all that that you automatically get anxiety mm-hmm. uh, i guess sometimes in some cases obviously i mean environmental factors also come into play mm-hmm. yeah When is it time to seek advice from an expert? I mean, this is a question that parents struggle with quite a lot in terms of everything. Like, is my child's speech at that, you know, at that point where I need to go and see see a speech therapist or are they struggling with maths? Do I need a tutor? And in the same form, you know, my child is, you know, they're exhibiting signs of anxiety, but yeah when do i when do i need to to call you amber or another professional and and have my child assessed what yeah. are the things that we can look out right. for right that's mm. that's a good one actually um i i would think the best time to seek advice is when anxiety becomes maladaptive um and this really depends uh, primarily on three main factors so what i would be looking for is really in terms of the impairment mm-hmm. uh, how much the anxiety impairs the person's daily functioning that would be one thing and the other one's the intensity as well um is the anxiety you know out of proportion to the actual situation mm-hmm. or really in terms of the chronicity uh, in other words you know whether the anxiety is persistent or transient Um so if your child is constantly anxious and is not improving and this has significantly affected their lives I would think it is a good idea to seek help from an expert. Mm. And this is also quite a probably a tough question but to answer but how do we differentiate between an anxious feeling and anxiety disorder in children you know that so often our children will say oh i'm nervous about this basketball game or i'm anxious about my first day of school or you know those kinds of things which i assume are very normal at what point is it you know is it a disorder versus just a feeling of you know of worry or stress right i guess a lot of people actually what they do is that you know the the words are interchangeable kind of thing yes um and it's also in terms of the understanding of what really anxiety is mm. um but i would say actually moderate fear and anxiety are in some ways adaptive and uh, there are emotions and rituals that increase um, you know feelings of control 
which are quite common in children and teens. So, um, so moderate and amounts of anxiety helps us to think and act more effectively. Mm. You know, that's fine. Uh, while you know, as mentioned earlier, an anxiety disorder, uh, it really occurs depending when. Or you know when this anxiety becomes maladaptive, so you know it really boils down to the fact you know if the child's functioning is affected, uh, that's where you know sort of like you know I know that you know this is really sort of like an anxiety disorder kind of thing. Uh, you know it's having you know minor sort of worries here and there they are good because they will push us to move forward and do things you know whatever they be be wanting to do. Uh, but that doesn't really affect your functioning in great ways. No. Right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, but really, in some ways, with kids, over time, you know, parents do see the changes happening in them, um, and they're not functioning, not going to school, and all that. I think that would be a big concern for me. Mm. Yeah, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because we are. I mean, we're anxious all the time about different things, and that's perfectly normal. Um, but it's really good to know that there are certain triggers or th- certain signs that we need to look out for Definitely. in terms of, yeah. you know, in terms of it manifesting in a more serious way. Um, can you explain the difference for me between an anxiety attack and a panic attack? We've heard both of those phrases. Right, yeah. Mm. I think it, it, it's also sort of like, you know, the, um, the anxious feeling and the anxiety disorder mm-hmm. kind of thing where people use it, you know, interchangeably sometimes. Um, But really, if you were to be looking at panic attack, panic attack has been classified in the diagnostic manual where we do use that for, you know, our diagnosis of the disorders. Whereas the uh, anxiety attack, it doesn't have a name in the the diagnostic manual. The panic attack has it. Mm. Um, So basically, I mean, I would probably, I think it's a lot easier for me to talk about the panic attack per se, what it is first. Um, Panic attacks are the sudden overwhelming period of intense fear or or, or discomfort accompanied by, you um, you know, parts of the flight or the fight response kind of thing. Uh, so these attacks involve intense symptoms for prim- maybe for some cases about 10 minutes or, or less, depending on you know, the individual as well. And then it subsides. Uh, panic attacks are rare in young children and are more common in adolescents and can occur with or without a trigger. Mm. Um, so symptoms really, if you're looking at panic attacks, they would include uh, you know, rapid heart rate, um, chest pain, dizziness, chills, nausea, and shortness of breath. On the other hand, if you're talking about anxiety attacks where, you know, people just casually use it sometimes, are typically less intense mm. um, and are usually in response to a perceived threat. Um, so, you know, we were talking about panic attack where, you know, it wasn't, you, know, you, you wouldn't really have any specific triggers to that. So this is really in response to a perceived threat. Um, so these anxiety symptoms, they do share some things like the panic attack as well. Uh, so they could include nervousness, irritability, rapid breathing, a mm. sense of impending danger. And sometimes they follow a period of excessive worry. So these symptoms also usually last longer than symptoms of panic attack and may persist for days, weeks and months. Mm. Yeah. But I guess, um, you know, I think in a, in a common population, it is, you know, we do hear that quite often. Mm. Uh, but overall, it is, you know, all connected to worries and anxiety in some form or another. Yeah, it's just different phrases, different right. ways of, yeah. yeah. Uh, switching a little bit, you know, there's been so much more pressure in society around 
the way in which we look and, you know, social media for teens and all of these different things. And and one thing that's that that I was quite interested in in exploring with you is this body dysmorphic disorder. Right. And and whether or not that is a type of anxiety is that is is body dysmorphia uh, an anxiety disorder? Um, I would say um, I mean a body dysmorphic disorder is um, really related. I mean in the classification of the the, the DSM five, mm. um, it comes under the uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, I, I can understand why sometimes, you know, we do, you know, take it as part of the anxiety kind of thing. Um, generally, when you have the body dysmorphic disorder, it is really associated with high levels of anxiety. Mm. Um, and it's also, you know, we do see comorbid disorders with social anxiety. There's some kind of social avoidance in there that is actually low self-esteem. And it also accompanies depression you know, um, in effect, you know, your mood as well. Um, so, but what, what I'm trying to say is that really, I mean, there is a big component of anxiety in this uh, disorder. Um, unlike unlike most of the other anxiety disorders, um, uh, I would I would think that um, the anxiety and worry in the body dysmorphic disorder focuses on perceived appearance or the flaws in the faces or the body parts and all that. So, so, and because when they, when they are so concerned about these flaws, quite naturally, um, you know, anxiety is also part of it. Mm. And I think uh, you can't separate anxiety from there. But, but the classification, if you're looking at it, is really under the obsessive compulsive disorder. Right. OCD. Yeah, which I know is another area that you're, you know, that you have experience in with your clients, but we can perhaps talk about that on another episode. Sure, yeah. And uh, um, we put a poll out on our Instagram to all of our readers and uh, everyone who responded felt that anxiety in kids is something that we as parents should be concerned with. What are your thoughts on this? Um, yeah, um, uh, in, you know, anxiety is just everywhere anyway. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, anxiety is an emotional state that is characterized by strong negative emotions mm. and in anticipation of future danger or misfortune. Um, it is also in some ways a natural survival instinct that occurs from changes in biology. Um, so moderate amounts of anxiety is natural mm. and can be beneficial. Uh, but anxiety becomes a concern only, you know, like what we spoke earlier, when it is maladaptive based on its impairment, intensity and chronicity. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you're really looking at, you know, the maladaptive part, I think obviously then it becomes a concern that, you know, mm. we should be really, you know, um, come into play to see exactly how we can help the kids. Mm. What is, I mean, we've just talked about um, social media and doing a poll on our Instagram what is the impact of social media on now on child anxiety? Is this an area that parents and kids should pay attention to? Yeah, uh, I mean, we do see cases quite a bit in terms, you know, uh, these concerns in the clinic as well. Um, social media obviously can result in, uh, you know, in many cases, what we see is the fear of mis missing out for more. Mm. Um, or bullying, you know, the cases of, you know, how it, you know, affects the self-esteem and create feelings of loneliness. Mm. Um, it has been found that the longer children spend on their screen, the more anxious they become as they internalize their problems, 
causing an increased risk in developing disorders such as depression and anxiety. Wow. Um, so so what, what I'm trying to hint here is that parents should be aware of their child's screen time and be wary of some early warning signs um, that, you know, the child's mental health is being negatively affected by social media use. Um, so um, talking about then, then, you know, the question is, you know, what kind of signs should I be looking for? Um, you know, if you're looking at, you know, if a child is spending more time online than with their friends or, you know, suddenly there's some kind of lack of interest, um, you know, of their prior hobbies and passions. Mm. Um, is there any concerns around in terms of lack of sleep? Or, you know, or maybe, you know, it's quite common that, you know, when you end up more in spending more time in social media, there are lots of chance, chances of being cyberbullying as well. Yes. So that is a concern that you should be looking. And more often than not, you know, when we are spending more time on social media, you know, there's always this phrase that I like to use is you compare and despair. Mm. So what happens is that, you know, it's sort of like, you know, it, it brings up the inadequacy of your life experiences as well. So that's going to affect your mood and, you know, and the lots of chances around getting anxiety around that as well. Mm. And I think as parents, we just have to continue that conversation around the fact that so much of what we see on social media is the highlights of someone's life, you know, so yeah. they're the best moments. Right. And what your peers are doing and experiencing, that's one of their best moments. It's not what's happening every day. So exactly, because more often than not, what you see is really the um, you know not everything that you know shines is a diamond or anything. We would yes. say <laughs> <laughs> completely right. So we've talked a lot about you know parents and how we can help to support our children or identify mm -hmm. anxiety. How can other people help in terms of understanding and perhaps managing a child's anxiety? Right. Obviously, I think, um, you know, parents' role in dealing with so many things can be quite overwhelming for them. Yes. Um, so, you know, one other, you know, um, we're looking at teachers, obviously, you know, teachers play a big role in helping a child with anxiety. Mm. As most children, you know, we know that they spend a large portion of their daily time in school. Um, so as such, teachers may be a key stakeholder, I would say, mm -hmm. uh, in identifying and managing a child's anxiety uh, along, with the, along with parents as well. Um, uh, teachers should be you know, vigilant of the signs of anxiety in children and also be familiar with some relaxation techniques mm -hmm. such as deep breathing. Um, they should look into, you know, um, to instill positive thinking and look to create a safe trusting relationship with the child to build confidence and some kind of familiarity to reduce the anxiety. So teachers do really play a very big mm. part in there. Obviously, you know, if, if we, in, in Singapore's context, we have caregivers. Um, so yes. I guess they would be also good, you know, people to, you know, um, you know, where they can actually, uh, you know, need, need to understand actually exactly, you know, what are the things that happens when a child is mm. anxious. And obviously, you know, there are people, you know, if you have very good friends and, uh, you know, they probably also, you know, now, now with social media, I would say a lot of information is just floating around. Um, so people are able to, you know, learn from that and sometimes, you know, identifying their friends as well. 
Uh, we have cases where actually, you know, in the clinic setting, um, where they have said actually, my friend did spot that something was not right with me. Mm. Um, she advised me to come and you know speak to somebody. Mm. Um, so obviously, yes, you know, um, all of this around, I mean, people around you, you know, um, yeah, they can spot if they do understand, you know, what it looks like, you know, if you're having anxiety. Mm. And it's such a good point about teachers because. You know, when your child is at school age, they actually spend most of their week when school term is on with their teacher or teachers That's right. rather than with their mum and dad exactly. or, you know, or the, even their caregivers or grandparents or whatever else. So, right. uh, yeah, so I think you're right, you know, having a close relationship or at least a very open communication with, with the teacher of your child if they're, right. you know, they're experiencing anxiety or if you're concerned about their you know, their mental health or, you know, that's really important. Right. Mm. And also, I guess, you know, in lots of schools, they do have, you know, counselling, school counsellors in there as well. Um, So I guess, you know, more and more, you know, kids are understanding that, you know, that there are these places that they can go to and talk to, you know, if they they do have any concerns around anxiety or any other issues as well. Yes. And there's a lot more focus now, isn't there, in the school on mindfulness and, you know, my kids know so much more than than I did until I started exploring this in terms of, you know, the different ways to calm down. Exactly. And it's quite, it's wonderful to see, you know, that the schools have definitely embraced this. That's true, actually, because I've got kids coming in and talking about terms that I was like, where did you get that term from? Yeah. Yeah, they're very, they're much more well versed than 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 we were because it wasn't something that was exactly. there when I was at school. You yeah. know, you're listening to the Honey Kids podcast, Growing Pains. I'm your host, Ange Neo. Did you know that over half a million mums and dads read Honey Kids every month? Amazing, but true. If you'd like to know all the great things to do in Singapore, then you absolutely need to subscribe to our newsletter. It delivers the best of Singapore right into your inbox every week. I have some questions actually from our readers. We kind of put a shout out and said, what are some things that are really Mm -hmm. concerning you? Um, So the first one is, how can childhood anxiety manifest in a toddler? You know, if my child is getting worked up, upset about going to school, doesn't want to eat, could that be a symptom of child anxiety? Or is this, you know, they're they're little, they're toddlers, toddlers have big feelings and it's completely normal? Um, I mean, I I would say, you know, they do have anxiety, you know, anxiety can occur in toddlers as well. Mm. Um, Say, for example, if I were to say in toddlers aged one, um, anxiety may typically manifest through separation anxiety kind of thing, um, or bedtime fears and um, or strange anxiety as well. Um, then we feel going to the next stage at age two, toddlers have a, they do have a deepened understanding of distance and time as well. Mm. Um, so they may develop fears of new things and the unknown as well as, um, you know, social anxiety as well in some ways. Um, at age three, uh, you know, there's a possibility that toddlers may have some anxiety about preschool. Mm. Or, you know, they would develop phobias and fears and may have imagination-induced anxiety as well. Um, so so some behavioral signs of anxieties in that case would include, you know, changes in heating habits or, or, or maybe, you know, some kind of refusal to go to the school. Mm. So, yeah, so so 
I'm coming back again to the same thing in terms of how much does it affect the functioning and was there any kind of drastic change that suddenly mm-hmm. happened? Uh, you know, and this is not the norm that they see in a child. Then I would be wondering actually what's really going on. Mm-hmm. And if the pattern does persist, um, that is obviously a concern for me. Yeah, that's a real. That's such a wonderful tip. If it's out of the ordinary, then that's a moment for you to really consider as a parent, right. rather than if it's just you know every time I try to take them out of the the playground, they have a tantrum. Well, it's because they don't want to, you know, things right. like that are much more normal, right? Right. And I, I think so, because you don't want to attend to a child when, you know, every single thing, you know, they're showing some kind of anxiety, then we are not allowing, we're not giving the space for the child to grow. Mm. At the end of the day, I think what's really important is that uh, we have to understand that, you know, we have to teach the life skills for kids as well. Mm. So if we come and interfere all the time and... And the child is not learning that, you know, you know, I can deal with the situations myself, then that's going to be affecting them in the long run. So this, for me, I would consider that these are life skills. Yeah. And it's so tough as a parent because so often we become overprotective or, you know, sometimes helicopter, you right. know, like we're hovering around, yeah, don't hurt natural. yourself. To, yeah. It becomes so natural. But then you also know instinctively, you know, they need to build resilience. Exactly. They need to learn independence. Exactly. Yeah. That's where we're heading towards too, because in, in any kind of uh, treatment for anxiety as well, you know, we teach them the skills and all that. Ultimately, what we want is for them to be resilient. Mm. And that's the most important thing, I would say. Mm. Another question from one of our readers, uh, my seven-year-old is worried about death, specifically about herself uh, and his dad, so the reader's um, husband, dying. How do you comfort him in this situation? Yeah, that's a quite a bit of a tricky one. Um, mm. I would say, actually, a fear of death is common among children. Yes. Um, so they may have a fear of dying themselves, too, or, you know, get worried that their parents may die. Um but but it is really important not to dismiss your concerns mm. um, and instead, you know, listen to what your child has to say uh, without disregarding or invalidating the thoughts and feelings. Um, so, you know, then these conversations may reoccur, you know, kids may talk about it several times as well. Uh, so in that context, I, I would think that, you know, choose words carefully Mm. Um, and be honest about the reality of death using open and, you know, honest uh, language rather than, you know, vague words and euphemisms, you know, mm. that kind of things where they may not quite understand and they get more confused as well. Uh, because when you have anxiety, anything that is unclear is going to add on to the anxiety mm. even more. So the more, if you're quite clear with your words and it's age-appropriate in that sense, I think, um, and you've explained to them, and if you find that sometimes it's really hard for you to explain, there are books and storybooks sometimes that do explain and they bring that information in a much lighter note and, mm-hmm. you know, you can you can ask them, you know, how do you feel about that? What do you think about that kind mm-hmm. of thing? So it's a kind of an easy way I would find to elicit information and deal with the anxieties there as well. Mm. But not dismiss the worry and just say, oh, you don't need to worry about that. That's completely the wrong way to go, right? Yeah, that's mm. right. And we, I guess we do have to be mindful to keep the discount, you know, the um, the age-appropriate kind of level too in terms of the, you know, the words we use. Uh, and, and, you know, make every effort to answer any queries they may have, even if they may seem quite obvious mm. to us. 
Um, and if you feel that your child's fears are starting to affect their daily functioning one more time, um, so you may consider seeking help to, you know, help your child move beyond these fears. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you do find that they're, you know, speaking about it over and over and, um, and you know, they're not going to, you know, when, when it comes to bedtime and if you do find that that is a concern for them, uh, then we wonder, you know, you know, what can be done around that. And normally we do see that actually when kids have this fear about dying and all that, um, and in cases, we do find that in kids with the separation anxiety disorder as well. Mm. And this kind of topics do come up quite often. Mm. We've touched on a little of the next question. So um, so how do I know if my child's anxiety is beyond their control? So we have touched a little on that. And I think the most important part of this question, so at what point should I seek assistance for anxiety-related issues? And who do, the, who do I contact first, Ember? So... So who do you speak to? What are the steps to kind of help support your child if they do, in fact, need intervention of some, you know, of some degree? Right. I'll touch on the intervention part in, in terms of, you know, who, you know, who they can approach. Mm. Um, in, 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 sometimes, you know, um, I mean, we, you can really, um, you know, if teachers do sport, you know, kids having some anxiety in school, our school counsellors are there. So they can be sometimes, the, you know, the first line. Um, and, and kids can go to them and talk to them. Um, the other thing is, uh, you know, and, and when parents do find that that is still not sufficient and they need, you know, something more than that, sometimes, you know, somebody who's really clinically trained mm-hmm. um, to deal with those a- areas in terms of, you know, concerns around a child. Um, so, or maybe you want to rule out certain things as well. So uh, you can actually, um, you know, approach a clinical psychologist uh, in some cases, if you find that it is coming to a point that the child is really having symptoms that, you know, sort of like it is exacerbating, you know, and um, the condition and it, it is sort of like not allowing them to live um, day-to-day life, you know, in a proper way, um, psychiatrists can be approached too, you know, and, you know, probably, you know, if that's a need for medication, Obviously, um, this is something that I would really like to highlight, you know, anything around medication, if you think, you know, your child is having anxiety, you know, let me give this medication to calm this child down. I would advise that seek the approval of the psychiatrist first. You've got mm. to seek to them because we sometimes do not know how these medications come into play and, you know, and, you know, they can react with some other things that you're giving and, you know, that could even actually worsen the situation. Mm. Very good point. Another question, and this is around, you know, where we've come out of the worst of COVID, we hope, and life has, re- you know, has returned this year in 2022 to a, a lot more of a normal, uh, you know, normal situation. So this reader, I'm concerned that COVID-19 has increased my child's anxiety in a lot of ways. Is that a trend that you've observed through your kind of work? And how does it manifest and how can we help our kids return to the new normal? Right. I mean, I must say that COVID-19 has indeed caused an increase in paediatric anxiety as children are a particularly vulnerable population when it comes to mental health. Um, basically, you know, the social changes, self-quarantine, isolation, fear of death and Mm. dying all have contributed by providing an added source of stress to children. Um, I must also say that families may also be affected due to the many adversities caused by COVID. 
um, that could be, you know, parental illnesses or financial difficulties and family conflicts as well. Um, then, you know, these adversities, um, unfortunately, inadvertently induce stress onto the child and the child may internalize these stresses, causing heightened anxiety. Um, and studies have also shown that, you know, confinement to home produces anxiety and other mental health symptoms. So actually, if they've been confined for a longer period, then the risk, obviously, the risk is a lot higher there. Yeah. Um, this may cause anxiety subtypes to uh, to manifest in children, such as generalized anxiety disorder, separation anxiety disorder, and social anxiety as well. Um, so that the question then is, you know, how do we help, you know, kids who have that? So I would probably think that parents can help structure their day as anxiety can try when children get bored or fretful on a structureless day, mm. uh, maybe incorporating activities such as um, alternative chores and fun activities, and also ensuring your child is able to socialize with their friends via video chats or you know, social media. Um, one thing I, I, for parents I would like to say as well is that parents should also be role models and calm themselves as children tend to learn vicariously through modeling. Mm. Um, so by providing model behaviors for your child, you know, uh, they are quite likely to pick up the appropriate behavior and, you know, and the cues as well, you know, both in the present and in the future, as they learn really how to handle these crises from their parents' experiences. Mm. So, yeah, so these are some of the tips I think probably could come in handy. And obviously, I think over time, with the COVID that was happening, you would have actually had your own tips as well. Yeah, I mean, it was really interesting, even more recently with travelling and, and things and being in new environments. You know, we, that was something that we were always able to do before COVID. And, of course, we couldn't leave Singapore for quite some time. And, you know... It was interesting to really see that the the children that were on the holiday with us, our own kids and, and other kids, you know, being around crowds was really strange for them and actually quite, you know, confronting in a way that I had not even kind of thought would happen. And, you know, both my kids were like, oh, we don't like this. It's too crowded. It's too this. And that was purely all around COVID and, and just not being around those crowds for so long, you know? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that could be one of the symptoms too. In some cases for kids, you know, being at home, you know, for the longest period, mm. obviously then I would be, you know, putting a question mark as to, you know, are there any issues around social anxiety as yeah. well? So we, and we can't jump into that straight away. No. Uh, but the fact that, you know, you, they have been cut out from, you know, the popular, I mean, you know, the yeah. outside world for, for a long period of time, um, yeah, it, it is quite common that you know these anxieties will crop up in them, yeah. and and you know for in many cases, and I think uh, the good side of that I would say is that um, uh, both parents and you know kids are you know learning ways to adapt because we never had a blueprint no. to how to cope with COVID in that case. So um, so we all of us were in many ways you know learning you know how to adapt and you know giving and take you know that kind of strategies that we put in place. Um, and we survived. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting. It's also interesting, you know, those children that were born in COVID and, you know, were suddenly two-year-olds two that kind of came out of lockdowns and things like that and, and how the struggles have been for the parents in terms of, well, they didn't get to go to baby groups and they didn't get to exactly. experience all those things. And, right. Yeah. And, you know, most children, of course, are very adaptive 
adaptive and, and, you know, but some friends, you know, there's been real struggles there just in terms of all that change, but also all that time spent in a much smaller circle. And then suddenly everything's open. It's quite a lot for a little person to really understand, right? Definitely. Yeah. There, there is really a concern of some kind of adaptation. Yes. Um, and I think it also comes come, comes down to one other thing is in terms, you know, how you know, just monitoring your child, you know, how that particular child is adapting to the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and, you know, that is also part in many ways, you know, you're teaching the child to learn ways to cope with uncertainties because mm-hmm. anxiety at the end of the day hinges on one main thing that is always on uncertainties. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, teaching them the skills to deal with the uncertainties. And for me, obviously, that is one of the biggest life skills. Yeah. A few Final questions from me, Amber. First one, just out of interest, what what was the age of the youngest child that you've ever treated? Right. I think if I do remember, that was something around six years of age. Yeah. Right. And and that's kind of, is that very unusual? Like, is it normally kind of from eight, nine, ten, or is this... Um, it really varies, uh, mm. you know, depending on, you know, um, e- even in the environment, environmental factors, you know, or, you know, stresses that could have actually been happening in the family context or anything like that. Uh, that could be, you know, if the child was experiencing that in maybe four years old mm. at the age of four. And, you know, obviously, um, there's a lot of likelihood that the child probably would see someone. Mm. Um, so it really depends on what was really happening in the child's age as well. Yeah, uh, but sure. I, in my case, I probably think that was about maybe five or six years of age, I think. Yeah. yeah. So, Anbar, another question. Can anxiety in children be cured or removed altogether? Or is it something that will just continue to remain even after treatment and it's just more understanding triggers and coping mechanisms? Right. Uh, that's a good one, actually. Um, um, I would like to say that anxiety is treatable. Mm. Um Rather than being cured, I would say treatment for anxiety typically involves, you know, managing, acknowledging and coping with the anxiety. Mm. Um, So this will allow the child to thrive amidst the anxiety as they learn how to tolerate anxious feelings and, you know, pick up on environmental triggers and mitigate them before they manifest into anxiety. Uh, basically, children will learn how to instill confidence and reduce their general level of anxiety through problem-solving strategies. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, uh, most children with anxiety disorders will outgrow them, provided that they live in supportive environments with appropriate treatments. Mm. How can new parents be better prepared for the possibility of their kids experiencing anxiety? New parents, um, you know, should provide support, stability and, you know, listen to their child's concerns and stresses. Um, the reason being this is to allow parents to put in place certain strategies and take action actions before their child's anxiety causes impairment in their lives. Um, parents should, you know, help their children feel safe. That's very important. Uh, loved and cared for, uh, teach them coping skills and, you know, help them to take a break from stress. Mm. We also polled our Instagram followers and 60% of our respondents said that they've discussed the topic of anxiety with their kids. In your opinion, is this a topic that we as parents should touch on with our children? And if so, is there an ideal age where we would start that conversation? I think, yeah, uh, parents, 
um, I mean, anxiety just presents, you know, it doesn't, you know, it could be any age, right? So mm. um, in that case, um, uh, obviously, I think parents could, uh, you know, talk about those things with the kids and, you know, touch on the concerns around that as well. Um, in many cases where if they do find that it's quite hard for them to talk, um, I would suggest that maybe if, if they're much younger ones, they can actually, um, you know, read storybooks or, or uh, you know, uh, look into some of, the f- some of the kids' favorite characters and see actually how this particular character actually even dealt with the anxiety in some ways. Um, and then, you know, and, and parents actually dwelling on that a little bit to say, you know, you know, what would you have done in that situation kind of thing. So we're not telling them exactly what they should be doing. Mm-hmm. We're sort of like, you know, expanding their mind, you know, and to see actually if there's a real situation cropping up at any point in time in their lives, um, you know, they have these resources sort of, you know, they've spoken about it and that could probably, you know, at that point in time may come in handy. Mm. Amber, thank you so much for joining me today. It's really been such a pleasure to speak with you and learn more about this important topic. And I'm sure our readers have gleaned so much information and little nuggets on how to kind of cope with these things, better support their children and, you know, and also really be able to identify when they need that intervention. So thank you so much. It's my pleasure. A big thank you to Anbar for joining us for our conversation today. I am now joined by our Honey Kids writer, Sufyan, to chat with us a little about what else we can find on our site. Thanks, Ange. Hi, everyone. Sufya. From dealing with the rise of anxiety in kids to managing and overcoming anxiety, we've got it all covered on the Honey Kids Asia site. We also have other relevant articles that you should check out such as spotting depression in teenagers and how to take care of your mental health. And want to stay in the know? Sign up for our weekly newsletter and don't forget to follow us on socials, Facebook, Instagram and Telegram. Thanks, Suf. Well, that's it for this episode of Growing Pains. Thank you for listening and we will see you next time.